Good morning. I'm Abby Pecklow. Please stand for the scripture from Psalm 55. <clears throat> Give ear to my prayer, O God, and hide not yourself from my plea for mercy. Attend to me and answer me. I am restless in my complaint, and I moan, because of the noise of the enemy, because of the oppression of the wicked. For they drop trouble upon me, and in anger they bear a grudge against me. My heart is in anguish within me. The terrors of death have fallen upon me. Fear and trembling come upon me, and horror overwhelms me. And I say, oh, that I had wings like a dove. I would fly away and be at rest. Yes, I would wander far away. I would lodge in the wilderness. I would hurry to find a shelter from the raging wind and tempest. Destroy, O oh Lord, divide their tongues, for I see violence and strife in the city. Day and night they go around it on its walls, and iniquity and trouble are within it. Ruin is in its midst. Oppression and fraud do not depart from its marketplace. For it is not an enemy who taunts me, then I could bear it. It is not an adversary who deals insolently with me, then I could hide from him. But it is you, a man, my equal, my companion, my familiar friend. We used to take sweet counsel together. Within God's house, we walked in the throng. Let death steal over them. Let them go down to Sheol alive. For evil is in their dwelling place and in their heart. But I call to God, and the Lord will save me. Evening and morning and at noon, I utter my complaint and moan, and he hears my voice. He redeems my soul in safety from the battle that I wage, for many are arrayed against me. God will give ear and humble them. He who is enthroned from of old, because they do not change and do not fear God. My companion stretched out his hand against his friends. He violated his covenant. His speech was smooth as butter, yet war was in his heart. His words were softer than oil, yet they were drawn swords. Cast your burden on the Lord, and he will sustain you. He will never permit the righteous to be moved. But you, O God, will cast them down into the pit of destruction. Men of blood and treachery shall not live out half their days, but I will trust in you. This is the word of the Lord. You're all alone in an empty house, and you hear a noise downstairs. You thought there was no one else there, but suddenly your heart starts racing and, and your mind freezes. It's your turn to stand up and say something. Uh, and the person who's gone before you did a great job, and, and you know that you can never rise to that level, and so your insides start getting knotted up. The phone rings at midnight, and your kids are out at a concert or a party, and there's been an accident. Immediately, your mind thinks, and, and your hand starts to shake as you reach for the phone. You're alone in a room full of people, and uh, everyone around you seems to know someone else at the party, and you don't know anyone, and, and you'd love to be in the conversation, but, but you don't know how to break in, and you don't want to look stupid, and, and so you stand off to the side, and you vow it never again, not going there. Or there have been rumors at work going around about layoffs, and your boss says, I need to talk to you in private. 
Or if you're like me, you're taking a tour of the Benjamin Harrison home downtown and, and you're enjoying walking through this nice old Victorian home and you turn the corner into a bedroom and bam, there is this creepy doll staring into your soul. <laughs> Not that bad. Look at the close-up of this thing. Okay, can we just go to a blank slide? I don't even want to look at that. Right? It is like in the category for some people of creepy clowns, right? Or bugs and spiders or the dark, or heights, or enclosed spaces. What is it that causes fear? Some of it maybe has to do with our temperament. Some, some personality types seem more or less prone to fear than others. But the reality is that all of us are afraid of something. And so temperament really maybe only explains how much we get afraid or the kinds of things that we're afraid of. Uh, because all of us have fears at some level. Traumatic events in our lives can leave deep scars. Uh, a boy that comes close to drowning at an early age may live with the fear of water. Uh, a girl that's bitten by a dog as a child may, may live by once bitten, twice shy. A, a child who's raised by a domineering, critical parents may grow up to be one of those people that has a fear of speaking up in front of others or... A girl raised in a home or a community filled with violence and terror may live with traumatic stress. Uncertainty about the future can be overwhelming. Uh, on the global scale, it seems like there's always frightening powers out there flexing their muscles. And, and on personal level, when we're kids, you know, we worry, am I popular enough? Am I smart enough? Am, am I attractive enough? Am I cool enough? College students fear that the age of being able to have a decent job that would allow you to live in a home and raise a family is, is in the past. Singles worry about being alone. Workers are uncertain of their jobs. We're afraid, you know, if I give money, if I give time to help other people, there won't be enough for me. And parents worry that their kids will turn out or, or maybe walk away from the faith. And senior citizens worry if they'll have enough to even be able to afford living. Guilt over the past is another cause of fear too, isn't it? There are skeletons in, in probably most of our closets and the thought of those things coming out into the open for everyone to see and know can strike terror into our hearts. Marriages sometimes fall apart because one spouse is keeping some, some very significant secret from the other one and, and lives in fear of the truth coming out. Businessmen evade taxes and then can't enjoy the money that they've hoarded because they're afraid of being caught by the IRS. Brides on their wedding day have been known to faint, and, and bridegrooms too, let's be honest. Maybe all fear ultimately comes down to not being able to handle things in, in the biggest sense. Because we live in a world with all kinds of dangers that are bigger than we are. We're ultimately afraid that there's something out there that, that we can't control and that is going to destroy us. G.K. Chesterton wrote, Fairy tales do not give children the idea of the evil or the ugly. That is in the child already because it's in the world already. Fairy tales don't give the child his first idea of monsters. What fairy tales give the child is his first clear idea of the possible defeat of monsters. The big question is, where, where do we find that kind of hope? How do we live 
in the face of all the fears that are around us. Now, some people struggle with chronic fear, chronic anxiety, and I want to encourage anyone that there are all kinds of wonderful help and resources and medicines and psychologists and counselors of all different kinds that we need to be able to call on when we need help. But I also believe that a lot of our answers to fear are found in passages like this one that we read this morning in Psalm 55. David, the the writer of this psalm, if you know anything about the Bible, is a man of incredible courage and deep and abiding faith in God. I mean, this is a man who, as a teenager, took on a bear and a lion single-handedly. He's able to go up with confidence against a giant twice his size and say, what do I have to fear? And yet, here's a man who also experiences profound fear and anxiety here and and in other places in the Psalms. That is encouraging to us. And it's also hopeful because it gives us the hope that we can deal with fear in faith and in confidence so that it doesn't become destructive, it doesn't become sinful, it doesn't become crippling. If you haven't already, turn your Bibles to Psalm 55. And if you want to pull out one of those black Bibles in the seat underneath you, that's on page 562 in these black Bibles. This summer, we're going through the book of Psalms, not not all of them, but sort of an overview of the Psalms as expressions of inspired cries of our heart, The, the, the expression of our emotional life before God. The Psalms invite us to call out to God in anger and and hope and discouragement and gratitude and loneliness to find help, to find rescue. And this morning we're looking at this psalm of deep fear. And we don't know the exact circumstances, but but David, as we're going to see, is in some difficult circumstance, some situation that makes him desperately afraid. But we're also going to see how God helps him work through that to find courage and confidence and hope. But we want to start by trying to understand, as David models it for us, the the way that we can tend to respond to fear. Look in verse 2. I'm restless in my complaint, and I moan because of the noise of the enemy, because of the oppression of the wicked. They drop trouble on me in anger. They bear a grudge against me. My heart is in anguish within me. The terrors of death have fallen on me. Fear and trembling come upon me, and horror overwhelms me. Almost every Hebrew word for fear is in this passage. The the first form of fear here is troubling thoughts. Because if you've ever been there, you know that it's easy for us to start spinning out the what-if scenarios when when fears rise up. But But he goes beyond that. He talks about being distraught. It's the sense of panic or confusion, distress. He's in anguish. There's almost a physical pain that comes with this. Terror is assailing him, fear, trembling, horror. It doesn't get any more extreme than what David is expressing here. And maybe the first thing that we recognize is is that fear often makes me assume the worst. Fear makes me imagine the worst. Whatever David is going through, it it has shaken him to his core. And, And it's brought to the surface the very worst fears that he can imagine. When I was nearing my time uh, to graduate from seminary, I I really struggled with a lot of fear. Fear that nobody would want to hire me. 
fear that I'd never find a, a position in ministry, fear that, that I'd be unemployed, that, that we'd end up on the street, that, that we'd be homeless and hungry, that I was going to be a failure to my wife and children. Sometimes I fear that maybe I've done so many stupid, selfish, sinful things in my marriage and, and in my parenting that my wife or my kids are going to say, that's it, I'm done. I, I, don't, want, I don't want you anymore. Goodbye. And close the door and walk out. I fear in, in terms of ministry, you know, I'm going to forget some important project, some person that I need to follow up on, some, something that's really meaningful, sort of like, you know, the, the grown-up version of the dream where you're taking a test in junior high school in your underwear and you haven't studied for it. I fear that I'm going to mess up so badly that I'm going to preach such a bad sermon that, that people will say, that's it, we, we have no use for you, get out, you're done. And sometimes in the darkest nights of the soul, I wonder, have I gone so far? Have I, have I sinned so much this last time now that, that God is ultimately going to say, away from me, I never knew you. And go out into the outer darkness. Can anyone relate? Maybe all of us have, if not those fears, something like them. Fears that bring up distress, anguish, even terror. Worst case scenarios that, that go to the heart of our identity and our security. What is your ultimate fear? Dwelling on the possibilities of those, those worst case scenarios produces this kind of oppressive restlessness that David talks about here. Look in verse 6, and I, and I say, oh, that I had wings like a dove, I would fly away and be at rest. I would hurry to find a shelter from the wind and the tempest. When we're afraid, we, the one thing that we want is to just make whatever is frightening us go away, to get away from it somehow. And, and fear makes us either want to run or to fight back somehow. I mean, we learn about that in school, right? In neurobiology, the, the fight or flight response that's sort of wired into us, that, that prepares us to run away or, or to, to defend ourselves. And here David wishes that, that he were a bird and he could just get away somewhere, anywhere. But if we can't do that, we still have to find a way to get rid of the threat. Look in verse 15. Let death steal over them. Let them go down to Sheol, to the pit, alive. This is what scholars call an imprecatory prayer. These uh, imprecatory curses calling down death on one's enemies. And, and we come across them in the Psalms and they're troubling because they seem hateful, unchristian. And one of the ways I think for us to process through this is to recognize that the Bible records things that God does not necessarily approve of. The Psalms are the honest cries of the heart, and, and David crying out for vengeance to see his enemies destroyed does not necessarily mean that, that that's what we ought to pray. It means it's how David was feeling. Because the Psalm doesn't end there. But one thing to think about for us is, where is it that I run to when I'm afraid? What is my security blanket that I run to? Because fear then ultimately makes me distrust others. Look at what David goes on to say, starting in verse 9. Destroy, O Lord, divide their tongues. Violence and strife are in the city. Day and night they go around on its walls. Iniquity and trouble are within it. Ruin is in its midst. 
Oppression and fraud do not depart from the marketplace. It's not an enemy who taunts me, an adversary, but you, a man, my equal, my companion, my close friend. We used to take sweet counsel together within God's house. We walked together in the throng. David's fear has now become almost kind of a paranoia where he pictures the entire city is plotting against him. You know, almost like Richard Nixon, you know, like huddling alone in his office. They're all out to get me. And, and it's because of this betrayal by a close friend. And, and again, we don't know the exact circumstances, but a lot of commentators think that this may be tied to David's own son Absalom leading a rebellion to throw his father off the throne. And along with that, one of David's friends and counselors, Ahithophel, goes over to Absalom's side, and now he's feeding Absalom information about how to destroy David and how to undermine him and where his weak spots are. And when we're afraid, we, we grow distrustful, and sometimes rightfully so. I mean, David has been legitimately betrayed. But sometimes those fears get blown out of proportion. I mean, David assumes the, the whole city is full of nothing but ruin and treachery, and, and it becomes irrational. You know, after 9-11, we were understandably on edge about getting on airplanes and, and getting on airplanes with Muslims. And, and yet, what that's turned into is now Muslims are being removed from airplanes simply for speaking Arabic or looking Middle Eastern when, when they pose no threat at all. A majority of Americans fear violent crime and believe that those crimes have increased recently, Right? Except data from the police and the FBI show that violent crime has actually decreased significantly over the last 20 years. But criminologists will say if you try and tell people that, they get angry and hostile. Fear can become paralyzing. Fear can become paranoid. Fear can, fear can be sinful. We make bad choices. We assume the worst. We, we get stuck. We don't see things right. What do we do with that? How do we find peace in the middle of those fears? One of the most tragic things, I think, is, is maybe this cultural expectation that we're not supposed to name our fears. We're not supposed to tell anyone about it. We're supposed to have it together. You know, I'm a grown-up. I'm supposed to be able to handle it, right? And, and sometimes we get our identity wrapped up in that and being competent and being able to handle it in, in what we're doing for work, what we're doing for God, what other people think of us. And we can't let other people see us as weak or imperfect or needy and and so we turn to our own resources and, and try and find some way to deal with the pain. We'll find some way to numb it with maybe alcohol or shopping or surfing the internet or, you know, maybe I'll just work twice as hard to, to get away from the problems, which of course then creates more problems itself often. Or sometimes we end up actually feeding the fear in, in, in kind of a, a backwards twisted way, like we, we feel better about our fears by finding other people who share those fears and then we just sit around and, and talk about those things that we're afraid of more, right? Like, we, we listen to people who agree with us that, that things are terrible and we ought to be afraid and, you know, the internet is really good at this. It's stirring up our fears, right? That fears that you're going to miss out, fears that things are going terrible, fears that someone's got a better life than you, fears that the bad guys are going to win. Chapman University in California every year conducts uh, a series of surveys to measure Americans' top fears. And uh, some of those things stay near the top of the list every year. But it's interesting to notice the things that come and go 
off of that list. For example, in 2015, some top fears were cyber terrorism and corporations tracking my personal information and, and credit card fraud. And, and a significant number of people mentioned those things. But what's interesting is in 2016, none of those things made the top 10. Instead, people were now feared about gun control and the Affordable Care Act. Now, it's not like anything happened in that year to make those things suddenly much more of a threat to us. I, I think, you know, if we step back, we can probably imagine what's going on is that the media decided this is the scare of the month that, that you need to be freaked out about, right? Because nobody turns on the TV to hear, hey, guys, you know, everything's going pretty well, so just calm down and, you know, go play golf. I mean, you get people to tune in by saying, oh, my gosh, here's the latest thing you need to be freaked out about, right? Do you remember the, the summer of the shark about 15 years ago when, oh my gosh, all these shark attacks and don't go to the beach and it, and it crashed some tourism in, in beachfront areas? It turns out there were no more shark attacks that summer than, than there had been any other year. It was just literally a slow news cycle and, and we needed to report on something. And next month it's going to be something else, right? So one of the things that the internet is good at is bringing people together, and that can be positive, you know, when it's finding old friends from high school or people who share an interest with you, like roller skating or whatever it is. But it's not so helpful when it brings us together in a way that, that fuels fear and anger and distrust. Focusing on our fears with other people, you know, it may be helpful for a while, but it doesn't address the problem. It doesn't change us, at least not in good ways. And we often end up listening to the fears instead of talking to God about them. When in the Bible does God say, be freaked out? Like, seriously, guys, this is really bad, and you need to stress about it. I mean, it's just the opposite, right? The most repeated command in the Bible is what? Fear not. In fact, over 125 times in the Gospels alone, Jesus says something like, do not be afraid, have courage, or take heart. Listen to how David responds in the middle of this, this overwhelming fear in verse 1. Give ear to my prayer, O God, and do not hide yourself from my plea for mercy. Attend to me and answer me. I am restless in my complaint. And look at verse 16. I call to God and the Lord will save me. Evening, noon, and night I utter my complaint and moan, and he hears my voice, and he redeems my soul in safety from the battle that I rage. The first thing that helping us find peace in the middle of fear is to talk to God about it. I know it's like, duh, right? But do we actually do that? David names these fears specifically. And I have, to, I, need, I have to do that with God too, right? I need to maybe confess that some of my fears are sinful responses to what's going on in my life or what I'm afraid may happen in my life. And when I give in to fear, it's usually because I've been listening to myself and listening to the fears instead of talking to God about them. Notice David says, I call out to you morning, noon, and evening, three times a day. How often do I need to, to pray to God about my fears? Well, probably as often as they come up. But David also gives us a good pattern here. Followers of Christ for centuries have gone through a pattern of praying to God intentionally morning, noon, and evening to stop and take time to reorient ourselves, to talk to God about what's going on and what our needs are. 
And it doesn't have to be something formal. It doesn't have to be something flowery or, or long-winded. It, it's just reminding myself of what is really true and where my hope is and talking to God about what's going on. And, and then it might be helpful to look at who I am listening to and whether they're feeding fears or whether they're feeding my faith. Because David says, I trust that God redeems me in the battle that's against me. God doesn't promise to deliver us from all those things that we fear. But he promises to deliver us from slavery to that fear. How many of you have uh, ever gone bowling? Any bowlers in here? I've, uh, a few, I've been a few times. Uh, it's almost as much fun watching people bowl as it is bowling, right? Uh, because you get to a point where you come to the end of the lane and, and you have to let go. But it never really ends there, right? I mean, if you watch people, you're sort of, you know, like going like this and you're up on one leg and you're yelling at the ball and telling it which way to go and trying to, you know, put some body English on it as it's rolling down the lane. And, and, and yet, ultimately, of course, none of it works. I mean, the only thing you do is you, you roll the ball and, and then you let it go, right? You do all that you can before you let it go. I mean, you need to have the right shoes, you got to have the right size ball, you got you to have the right posture, know how to hold your wrist, take the right motion, release at the right time, but, but then you let it go and you realize it's no longer in your control. You, you let go of the ball and you wave and you say, okay, God, it's in your hands. And you know, that I probably should pray more the way I bowl, actually. It might help more. But look at what David says in verse 19. God will give ear. God will give ear and he will humble them because he is enthroned from of old. They do not change. They do not fear God. See what David's saying here? I'm surrendering control to God. I'm finding peace in the middle of the fear because I'm ultimately surrendering control to God. David is convinced that God is on the throne. Nobody's going to depose him. And nobody is ultimately going to get away with it. God will judge. No one will get away with evil forever. You remember earlier when David wanted to be a bird, to, to fly away from the trouble. It's interesting if you think about it. David did not wish to be an eagle or a falcon. To say, God, you know, give me the ability to swoop down and take them out. Put me in control, God, and, and let me sort them out, right? David says, no, I just... I, I want, let me just be a dove, and, and I'm not asking even for, for victory or vengeance. I just want to be at peace. Yeah, David is praying for God's judgment, sure. But even as he's praying that God would stop the wicked, he's ultimately praying for peace and rest. It's a good model for us. When you're afraid, especially when you've been hurt by other people, is your goal... Victory or peace? Because, you know, I mean, it's crazy, we know, but it feels like worrying somehow gives us control over the situation, right? Like somehow if I just, if I obsess over it, it gives me something to do, right? That worry equals control. And in our saner moments, like, you know, now we can sit here and say, well, that's dumb. Of course we know that that doesn't change anything. Worrying about our fears does as much as yelling at a bowling ball going down the lane, right? 
we have to choose to bring those fears to God and, and surrender the control to him. Because it feels like I'm only going to have peace when the threat is gone. But David shows us that we can have peace by surrendering control of the outcome, ultimately to God's judgment. And, and, and yet that's, that's hard because we know that letting go means God may very well do something that we don't like. Look in, look in verses 22, 23. Cast your burden on the Lord and he will sustain you. He will never permit the righteous to be moved. You, O God, will cast them down into the pit of destruction. Men of blood and treachery shall not live out half their days. But I, I will trust in you. I will trust in you. That's, that's really, I think, the third thing. I will trust in God. Because when I'm living in fear, I am obviously not trusting God. I mean, I may not say it out loud, but what's going on in my head is, God, you're not good. You don't know what you're doing. You're not trustworthy. And, I, and I'm right to be afraid. And verse 22 is telling us, cast those concerns, those needs, those doubts, those burdens on the Lord I know, trust in God, it's, it, right, it's what you expect me to say, of course, because I'm a preacher. Just trust in God, right? But it's the only way forward, isn't it? I mean, here's where I have to decide what I really believe. Does God's love lead him to care about me? Does God have the power to do what needs to be done? And can I trust him that he has the character to do the right thing? That's where the battle with fear ends up, doesn't it? Because that's where we find peace. Pastor Timothy Peck tells a story of uh, when he was in his first year of marriage, he was doing a laundry in a laundromat, and he was the only guy in the place when suddenly a man runs in with a gun in one hand and a paper bag in the other. And he had just robbed the bank next door. And he's trying to get away. And Peck says, as he made eye contact with me, I could see police cars out the back door, and, and this guy's panicked. And all of a sudden, I realized that he thought I was his ticket to freedom. And he pointed his gun at me and said, come here. And my body's fear response kicked in, Peck said. Adrenaline flooded my system. My eyes dilated. My heart started racing. And, but I uttered a quick prayer. And I named those fears to God, and, and I experienced this peace because I knew that my life was in God's hands, and if my time had not yet come, nothing was going to hurt me. So, so I ignored the guy, and I went back to my laundry, and he looked confused, and he walked out. <laughs> it's a great story, isn't it? Wouldn't it be awesome if they all turned out that way? But people do get kidnapped. And people do get killed by drunk drivers. And followers of Jesus do get cancer. People that we care about hurt us deeply or, that, or they do walk out. Somebody else gets the job. Somebody else gets the guy or the girl. God never promises that our lives are going to turn out like a Hollywood happy ending. Not in this life anyway. It's pretty certain, in fact, that disappointment, sickness, and death is waiting for every one of us. So I have to confront those realities. I have to confront those fears of my own, fears of 
failure, fears of rejection, fears of abandonment, and I have to bring them to God and trust in him ultimately, ultimately for the end of the story that he is not going to forsake me, that, that if I know him, if I am secure in him in Christ, that is my confidence and my hope. Even if I do end up losing a job, even if I do end up screwing up something significant, that's the hope that I have for those fears. I make a deliberate choice to believe God when he says that ultimately, eternally, he will sustain me and he will not fail me. It's not, it's not naivete, right? I mean, David says, cast your cares on the Lord because he's surrounded by cares and worries. I mean, he's in the middle of it, right? But while he's there, he's going to be confident. That's the position of the Christian, because we're not looking for an escape from reality. We know someone who will help us face the reality and find faith in it and find confidence and hope in it so that we're not overcome by it. That's what brings peace. I don't have to live in fear because I trust God for the ultimate outcome. Uh, last week, a photo of a Canadian man mowing his backyard became an internet sensation. He's running the mower over his backyard while there's a tornado in the background. <coughs> uh, Theunus Wessel's wife, Cecilia, took the picture. She told the Canadian Post that uh, their younger daughter had woke her up from a nap saying, there's a tornado outside and daddy won't come in. <laughs> and when he was asked about it, Wessel said, lawn needed mowing. I was keeping an eye on the storm. Is that the most guy response ever? I got it under control. But he said, actually, seriously, the storm was farther away than it looks in the picture, and, and it was moving away from their home. He actually was paying attention. He wasn't being foolish. He wasn't being naive. He, he looked at what seemed like a scary situation and assessed, I don't need to be afraid. Fear is natural. It's God-given, right? It's a response that God has given us to protect us from danger, but fear can be sinful when it becomes just a, a dominating response to circumstances that lead us to become desperate and doubting and distrustful. John writes in his first letter, the one who fears is not made perfect in love. See, when our responses are driven by fear of failure, fear of rejection, fear of losing control, fear of looking bad, I cannot love because I'm not free. I'm worried about managing those fears. But the writer of Hebrews tells us Jesus shared in our humanity so that by his death, we might, he might destroy him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives have been held in slavery by fear. Jesus has come to free us from fear. He has gone down into the worst, the worst fears that we can experience and come out the other side alive and victorious to tell us that the ultimate outcome is in his hands and, and that we can know security and peace as we experience God's unconditional love and his presence and his power in our lives. Whatever our reaction to scary situations we have a choice of how to handle our fear. We can allow it to paralyze us or we can ask God to help us, trust him, to talk to him about them and, and to surrender the control to him and move forward in faith. Cast your burden on the Lord. We're going to do that in just a minute as 
we uh, stand together. I want to invite the worship team to come back up. We're going to uh, sing a response to God's word. And uh, then we're going to spend some time talking to God about our fears, uh, either silently or out loud naming them, but, but then also taking an opportunity to name out loud the reasons that we have to trust God and hope in him. Because he is bigger than the fear. So can we stand and uh, we're going to lift our voices in response to who God is and, and who he is for us and what he has promised us. And then I'm going to lead us in a time of uh, praying together as we pray those fears and pray God's confidence to each other. <laughs> 